unbelievers and critics of the Bible ask questions such as this. Why would God spare his own son from slaughter in Bethlehem at the expense of all those children who died? Well, there are several ways to answer that. One is that Herod is responsible, and he is, for the slaughter of the innocents. Another answer is that the church has not forgotten about those little ones who perished. December 28th is known as the Feast of the Holy Innocents. A martyr is someone who dies because of his connection to Jesus. The church has always considered those little ones in Bethlehem to be martyrs because of their connection to Jesus. We honor them as such. There is no higher calling than to give up one's life because of an association with Jesus. But that aside, there's yet another answer, and it's this. God did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us all, including the unbelievers and the skeptics that perhaps we once were ourselves. And the last child of Bethlehem to die perished on a cross 33 years later for those little ones who perished earlier and for you and for me. That's our answer. We pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. In the summer of 2005, President George W. Bush was on vacation at his ranch in Crawford, Texas. He was reading an advanced copy of a book about the 1918 flu epidemic, and he could not put it down. When he returned to Washington, he called his Homeland Security Advisor, and he gave her a copy of the book written by John Barry. It's called The Great Influenza. And it told the chilling tale of a mysterious plague. The word influenza is an Italian word meaning influence. No one knew what a virus was in those days. But it told the chilling tale of a mysterious plague that would kill more people than any other outbreak of disease in history. President Bush said to his national security advisor, he said, Fran, you've got to read this. This happens every 100 years. We need a national strategy. And thus was born a comprehensive plan, a pandemic plan, a playbook, 
that included diagrams for a global early warning system, assuming you have a host country that participates, funding to develop new rapid vaccine technology. It called for a stockpile of critical personal protection equipment, face masks, ventilators, and so on. That effort went on for the last three years of President Bush's presidency, but it was not followed up on. President Bush had said, if we wait for a pandemic to appear, it will be too late to prepare. And one day, many lives could be needlessly lost because of our failure to act now. Now, all of that is chronicled in a book titled The Premonition by Michael Lewis. And I refer you to our sermon outline, Roman numeral one, premonition. A premonition is a forewarning, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. And Matthew chapter two is just that. It is a foreshadowing of something much more important than an epidemic. It is the foreshadowing of the life and the ministry of Jesus. In our gospel lesson for this evening, the Magi enter Jerusalem asking this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And the Magi learn through the words of the prophet Micah that the king would be born in Bethlehem. And apparently, no one in Jerusalem is interested enough to go down to Bethlehem to investigate. Bethlehem is only around six miles or so from Jerusalem. And evidently, no priests, no rabbis make the journey there to find out if it's true, if the Messiah has been born. Only these Gentile magi seem to care. In letter A, if Israel will not worship Jesus, the Gentiles will. And the word worship is used uh, three times in this narrative. I think verse two, verse eight, I believe, verse 11, maybe. And that foreshadows the global reach, the eventual global reach of the gospel that we see beginning in the Gospel of Luke and continuing on in chapter and volume two, which is Luke's book of Acts. Letter B, rejection of the infant Jesus by the political and religious establishment foreshadows, it's a premonition in a sense, of his earthly ministry. The political and religious establishment attempt to kill Jesus as a child. And that foreshadows what they will do when they finally succeed in killing him on Good Friday. And let her see the powerlessness of the child foreshadows the powerlessness of the crucified one. And powerlessness here should be in quotes. The child only appears powerless. 
the crucified man only appears powerless, just as King Herod only appears powerful. In Matthew 2, I think Matthew's intent here is to give us a glimpse of what's to come later in the gospel. The rejection by the establishment of God's Son. It's a forewarning of what's to come as an adult. That's what Luke 2 is about. So Roman numeral 2, let's talk a little bit about power dynamics according to the Word of God. Those of us, I hope, are familiar with God's left hand and God's right. God's left hand is earthly government. You know, uh, Jesus established the distinction between the earthly government and the spiritual reign of God in the church. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And St. Paul wrote in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. That's God's left hand. It uses coercion. It uses what it considers to be power to subject you. And then there's God's right hand, letter B, the church, the gospel, ministry. Just as we give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we should give to God what is God's. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go disciple the nations, baptizing them, number one, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's word and sacrament ministry that the church has been given. And he said in John 20, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you hold back or retain the sins of any, they are not forgiven. That's the power of the church. So, which is the power that the world seeks? Well, it's letter A. Even many in the church seek political power. They think that's the real exercise of authority in the world. That's what gets things done, according to the world. But I hope our lesson illustrates that that's simply false. Roman numeral three, the power that decides is the word. It is the gospel. Or we could say in a broad sense, law and gospel. That message that accuses and the message that comforts. I love what God said to Jeremiah. He was just a youth when God called him to preach and he said, see, I've appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. How? By exercising political influence? No, but by speaking the word of the Lord. That's how nations would be uprooted and torn down and built back up again, by speaking the word of the Lord. That is the power of God at work in the world today. Oh, yes, he works through the left hand as well. But the left hand only codifies, it only writes into law what the right hand has already determined and spoken. 
God said in Jeremiah 23, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that smashes rocks in pieces. St. Paul put it this way, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have real power to demolish strongholds. If we had to vote on which is the most powerful, the carnal weapon or the spiritual weapon, many of us, even in the church, would probably vote for the carnal. But our lesson for this evening shows us that the real work in life is done by the word. It's done by the word. Letter A, King Herod is troubled by word of the child. He receives word of the child. The announcement from the Magi that your king, you Judeans, your king has been born. And point number one, he sees the child as a threat. Now, this child, I think those of us who know the gospel know, he's really no threat to Herod. He did not come to set up a political kingdom to compete with Herod. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, however, that the wicked flee when no one pursues. Jesus is not pursuing him. The child is not pursuing him. But he's fearful. Herod is fearful. The child, however, is no threat to Herod. In fact, he's come to save Herod. Still, Herod views the child as a threat. And so my question for us to consider tonight, do we view him that way? Do we view the child as a threat? Do we view Jesus as a threat to our pocketbooks? Do we view him as a threat to our finances? And that would be strange if we do, because he, after all, is the source of our finances. He's the source of our health. He's the source of our lives. Or do we view the worship of Jesus as a threat to our free time? Do we view the study of Scripture as an encroachment upon our already busy schedule? Do you feel burdened by the thought of just trying to fit Jesus somewhere into your day? And do you feel guilty because you've not? Then hear the word of the Lord. This child did not come to condemn you. He has come to forgive you. In fact, he already has. He already has at the cross. You are forgiven. Why would any of us seek to avoid him? Of all people, unless we've forgotten why he's come. He came to save us from ourselves, from our self-destructiveness. And he's come to give us new lives, forgiven lives of service to others. So hear the word of the Lord. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. Hear that and know it. Letter B, the wise men are guided to the child by the word of the Lord. Yeah, the star gets them started. 
and the star may come to rest over the house, the specific house where the child is, or the stable, but they wouldn't know what city to go to unless they had been informed by the prophet Micah. The star brings them to the written and spoken word. Letter C. Herod tries to trick the wise men, but he's tricked by them because of the word of the Lord. Spoken to the Magi in a dream. And letter D. Herod tries to kill the child, but is unable to do so because of the word of the Lord. Spoken by the angel to Joseph. So in the end, letter E, it's not the child, but Herod who dies. And therefore, letter F, Herod's power is more appearance than reality. It's more appearance than reality. And that foreshadows Pontius Pilate as well. He said, don't you know? He said to Jesus, don't you know, I have authority to release you or to crucify you. And how did Jesus respond? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. And by the way, that's where I'm from. So despite appearances, Herod is not the genuine king over Judea, nor is his power genuine power. The true king is the child who says nothing, takes no action, and is totally vulnerable. Before him, of all people, Herod can accomplish nothing. Nothing. This child, Jesus, appears as powerless as Herod appears powerful. And yet, it is the child's kingdom that endures, and it is Herod's kingdom which fails. God exercises real power in this world through those who are weak and vulnerable and who are not held in esteem by those in power. Letter G. This child governs the world through his word, which he gives to those who lack earthly power. Those who lack earthly power. And this is reflected in the Magnificat, Luke chapter 1 of the Song of Mary. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's lifted up those. He's exalted those of humble estate. And how has he exalted them? He has given them his word. He's given us his word. He's given us not the appearance of power, which is political, He's given us the real power by which he governs all things. That is his holy word. And this is why he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all of them. Cast your net broadly and bring them in. 
I like to recall when Dr. Luther was asked how the Reformation succeeded against all odds, his answer was simply this, the Word did it all. The Word did it all. And he's right. And this Word of the Lord still changes lives and it still directs the course of history. And this word is given to us. Few, if any of us, are the elites. We, I don't believe, I don't recognize anyone here as being of the ruling class. Those who are the elites tend to look down on us who gather here, who take his word seriously. But God has given to us the only power that matters. He's given to us his word, which alone can save the elites and anyone else who believes. God governs the world through his word, which he's given to nobodies like you and like me. And his word is the only power that decides. It decides the fate of nations, and it decides the fate of individuals. As St. Paul wrote, the weapons with which we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. My friends, the real work in life is done by the word which you and I possess. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.